And I'm, I'm glad that Jesus is in the house. Amen. We're so thankful for the presence of the Lord that has filled this place. And we have a very special treat tonight. Uh, we found out that one of our very dear friends was actually going to be coming through town. He's on his way to Cleveland, Ohio, uh, to be with and to pray for a man that he won to the Lord that is facing an operation and he is going to be with him and and we found out that he was going to make Cincinnati a part of that journey and his plan was to sneak in and sneak out but when we found out about it we said uh, you can sneak in but we're gonna we're gonna ask you to bless us before you go with the ministry of the word I just can't say enough about this man of God he is a dear friend now his uncle uh, the late, great Pastor Royce Elms is also my uncle because he married my aunt, Annette Urshan. And so uh, Brother Elms and I are not blood related, but we share first cousins. And we thank God for that rich and wonderful heritage. He is an encourager. He is a lifter and a builder of people. The kingdom of God is his number one focus in life and his family is also his focus and they serve the Lord with him you know Ethan Elms and this is his father Pastor David Elms of course Sister Melanie Elms was with us for the Global Harvest Crusade in the summer and we're delighted to have our dear friend Pastor David Elms and he was going to come through because he has been celebrating with us from afar about our Ready Now building program and he's been following our progress. He just wanted to sneak in and see it. I'm so glad that he's here. Could you give him a great big hand clap from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, the Cathedral of Pentecost, Pastor David Elms. Praise the Lord, everyone. What a joy and delight it is to be with all of you on this Tuesday evening, I am overwhelmed with what I am feeling and seeing at Tree of Life and to be with all of you precious people of God in the middle of your work week. You know, it's amazing when you have guests come through, sometimes they forget that yes, you do have a early morning the next day and you've got situations going on and you are hustling here through the traffic and so I am not going to be long tonight, but I do want to celebrate what I am feeling, which is far more important than what I'm seeing, but what I'm seeing is awesome. I love what I have heard and felt about what's happening here at Tree of Life and also what God is doing through the city. Amazing things that God, only God, God and God alone, God and God alone. Having said that, I want to give honor to Brother Sizemore and uh, his faithfulness and his steadfastness and his sweet wife. I honor you, sir. Of course, Brother Barrick, he knows where the skeletons are buried in my life. <laughs> uh, back when I, my wife and I first went to Fort Lauderdale, and I believe we were still living in the church back when you came and preached for us. 
he was one of the most safe and perfect people to come and take care of the church when I was away. He was pastoring at that time up in Sebring area. Uh, what was, is it, was that the town proper you were in? Lake Placid. Oh, that's a more gentle, uh, gentle sounding thing. But uh, he is a dear friend. His wife and my wife are crazy. And no, that's not the word. Cray cray is the word. Uh, I don't think you guys know what cray cray means up here in Ohio. Uh, but there is a Florida edition of cray cray. Uh, but um, I, I also want to say how grateful I am to all the great men and women that have played a role in Brother Joel Urshan's life. Uh, what a great man of God. He and his sweet wife, Heidi, uh, are amazing people, and I love them. I have loved them from afar, and now I am loving them from up close. And the thing I love about them is that the closer you get to them, the more you learn to love them. Some people aren't like that. <clears throat> The more you get to know them, the more you would like that distance to be apparent. Uh, but I do love them and appreciate them. And I will say I do have a son that has found interesting territory in the Cincinnati region. He has adopted a swan song. I think it's for his life, not for his death. But uh, Yes, a young lady from this place, not Anna and Zach, although I love them dearly. We love Letty, even maybe a greater extent. I don't know. We're, we're in judgment. Uh, but uh, I love Zach, and we have been praying for you. And I love that young man. I love his spirit. It's so clean and pure. And, of course, if he gets out of line, Anna will straighten that out. And I love that young lady as well. But... Having said that, this house is here because of many wonderful people, and I want to give God the glory. Will you join me in your Bibles in the book of 1 John, and we are going to take a little journey in the Word, if you will, please. 1 John, the second chapter, we will be reading... From verses 12 to 14. And I'm going to break this down in Jesus' name. And by the help of the Holy Ghost, we'll all be helped tonight. John is writing this amazing first general epistle. And he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you and for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers. Everybody say, little children. Now say fathers. Write unto you fathers because, you, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men. Everybody say young men. Because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children. Because ye have known the father. I have written unto you fathers. Because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. For your consideration for a little while, I'm going to speak on the subject, trouble at the toy box. 
I want you to nudge your neighbor and tell them don't be the nuisance in the nursery. Some of y'all got more serious about that than others. <laughs> you may be seated in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, without you we are nothing and I must have your presence in this place. This is not the words of men's wisdom that will move us to where we've got to be. We must have a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. So if you will move upon us and let your spirit flow through us, we can be set like hinds feet in high places. And the glory of God can be revealed into this house tonight in Jesus' name. Our New Testament is an amazing book. I love the Bible. There's no book like it in the entirety of the universe. It is a book, but it is also a book of books. But the New Testament is written by eight authors. You can jot them down. It's very easy to know who the eight authors. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Paul. And then the last four are easy to remember because they're in couples. There's the first twosome, which is known as the pillar apostles or pillar disciples. That would be John and Peter. And then there is the two that are known as the royal family. Uh, those are the two that are the brothers of Jesus, James and Jude. And so eight writers wrote the New Testament. So when you read the New Testament, you can put it all together. Even though Luke wrote the most words, Paul wrote the most books. Paul gets a lot of attention because he has written many letters to many different places. Luke wrote a lot of words. He was a doctor, highly learned. His Greek shows his education. And he, in fact, he demonstrates words in his writing that are beautiful to behold, and they definitely come from someone who has been trained in the uh, ideals and the thoughts of the medical practitioners of that day. He brings words like anguish into the description of Calvary. So we learn about the New Testament from a meta view, not just a small forensic view, but you rise up above the whole of it and you see it because if you learn about the New Testament from the big point of view, it helps you glean when you get down to the verses. And so when I come to you today, I'm bringing to you a word from one of the pillar apostles, one of the two that were known. Every time you read of the disciples being listed, you'll always know one is listed first. Peter is always the first one listed whenever the disciples are listed. Peter was a pillar to whom was given the keys of the kingdom. But John had a special place in the heart of the Lord. John, the beloved disciple. John, the one who talked about things in a manner that was different than all the others. The, uh, the different gospels are essentially story of one man. They're all biographies of Jesus Christ. But they're told by different writers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as a synonymous or the synoptic gospels. And they kind of emphasize miracles and signs and wonders and crowds. John writes much later than all the other disciples because John, being a pillar, being the beloved, being a great, great closeness to the Lord, is remarkable that he was preserved from death. He died of an old age. No disciple died like that. But John was preserved. Uh, being tried, they tried to boil him in a pot of oil. And God saved him. 
So when we read of John, he's not looking for likes and clicks. He's not impressed with crowds. He comes to you and tells stories of one-on-one stories. He tells about a woman at a well. He tells about a man at night who comes to the Lord who was a a nice uh, man and he tells us about Nicodemus and he tells us about all these distinctives and conversations that Jesus has and he's not often mentioning miracles in fact very few miracles are ever spoken of in John's writing but he is talking about purposes and divine design and divine appointments and so when you read John understand he's coming at it somewhat differently. All the others, Matthew was trying to reach the people of God. Mark reaches a Grecian form. Luke has his own reach to a meta-narrative. But there is this John reach that is so spectacular when you get into John. This is why when we read John's letter, of course we know John wrote the Gospel of John. And we also know that he wrote the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. But he also gave us three very short letters letters that are known as general epistles and that's where we come for our text this first epistle which is a general epistle of John and in this book he's going through and starts by talking about joy it must be the foundation he talks about light and then he gets into this discussion about love the purpose of John is that you might have fellowship with us He is worried and concerned about false teachers who have come in. He knows that the people who would be reading this letter are already followers. They're not about to be. They're not almost followers. They're already disciples. And so you can start at a different place when you're talking to somebody who is already washed in the blood of the Lamb, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Understand what it's like to pray long hours and fellowship and break bread and and do what the apostles did. So he is coming with a concern in his general epistles against an attack. There's an attack on the church. Some who had once been apostles now are coming in with a revisionist interpretation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They have new versions of discipleship. And John comes along and says, here's how you're going to know if you know him. He said, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, I'm not going to tame this text. He's making it plain. He said, uh, here's how you're going to know if you know him, not if you run the aisles, not if you eat long meals after church. By this, in the presence of false revisionists, in the presence of those who wants to redefine what it means to be in the church, I'm here to tell you this is how you will know him because you keep his commandments. He goes on and says, these things have I written unto you that you may know you have eternal life. It's as if he's wanting to pound again and again something to the church. He understands that the church is given the ministry of reconciliation. Why do we have church? Because we're restoring people to Jesus Christ. That's why we have church. 
That's why you were worshiping with such energy when we started this service. Because we've got to get people out of the pit. That's why when we started lifting hands, you could not stand there with your hands down. We've got to get people out of the fire. We were here to pluck them like brands out of the fire. Unto you have been given this ministry of reconciliation. But it's got to be hard out there for a sinner. When the church isn't acting like the church. It's got to be hard out here for a sinner. When you're trying to get free and there's nobody acting like there's something to get free from. It's got to be hard out here for a sinner. When the church has no power, it's cute, but it's not convicting. They have Bibles in their hands and on their phones, but it's not down in their heart. When the music has rhythm and beat, but it's not rising from the depths of the soul. It's got to be hard out there for a sinner. When people don't pray like hell's hot and heaven's real. When people don't worship like there's something to be gained and something to be shunned. Hard, 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 hard out there for a sinner. Hard out there for a sinner when people are more worried about their friendships and their fun than they are about a fervent altar service and something worth standing for. Hard out there for a sinner. If hell is not called out, if Satan is not rebuked, if nobody knows how to plead the blood, then it's got to be hard to be a sinner. That's the reason I exhort you in Jesus' name. Don't hesitate, plead the blood. Don't think that maybe that's just old-fashioned stuff and we're a new-fashioned church. There will be revisionists that come into the church that come with a new brand of fellowship, but it's not the brand of Jesus Christ. It's hard to be a sinner in 2022 because you got to first find a church that knows that knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. If nobody knows the terror, then nobody's going to be persuading Now, now, I need to calm down. This is, I'm a little too wound up. So we're coming back down to uh, John, and this is a unique text because it sounds as if he has run out of a subject. It feels like he's repeating himself. And yet we know there's a, a great economy of words in the scripture. It's, there's, it's not superfluous. It doesn't have extra words. He wasn't writing a thesis that had a word count. Why, why, why is something repeated in such a manner that seems to be, if you were writing a paper, it might have had the red ink on it. Uh, what, what is going on here, you most beloved disciple, one of the pillar disciple, the man who sat on Patmos, the one who saw the dragon, the beast, the angels, he saw the seal, he saw the one that was worthy to open the book. What, what, what is in you now, John? Why are you so concerned enough to go write it and then rewrite it? Uh, I think I have uh, something I want to unpack here that it seems to me might help us. That is, he is talking about discipleship and he gives these these quadrants, this triumvirate, or this trifold expression of, of pace and progress. And he talks about discipleship, and then he describes discipleship. I write unto you, little children, 
I write unto you fathers. I write unto you young men. I write unto you you little children. I write unto you fathers. I write unto you young men. What are you doing here, John? There's three classes mentioned in six sentences, two sets of three back to back. But he changes the tenses. He said, I write, I write, I write, I write, I wrote, I wrote. Why does the tense shift? What's he referring to? Why the repetition? What is this? It's known as reduplication. And it's when you duplicate, you do something over and over. But then when you reduplicate, it's for the purposes of amplification. It's a repetition that creates a vividness to the text. And it's meant to emphasize. And when you're reading through the Bible in your Bible reading program, you just think, wow, he got lost for a minute there. He had one of those hiccup moments. <laughs> What's he going on? It's placed between two interesting places, though, because at the beginning, he's talking about how you're going to have to love your brethren. A new commandment I write unto you. Uh, you better love one another. And then he sticks this uncomfortable, unusual, uh, unpredictable text here. And then he follows it up with this powerful thing that I made my kids quote every day on the way to school. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father. Hmm. It seems like he got lost uh, and they accidentally stuck this speed bump in the middle of the text. And yet I see here a discipleship. In 2022... On the backside of COVID, when online service is so easily accessed, there is a concern, I think, that we all have. And that is, is it easy to excuse ourselves from being present? Uh, In school, they call that truancy. Now, we've got a lot of online schools happening nowadays, and, and I'm so thankful for that. A lot of people can take advantage of that, but... There are truancy laws that are big, and they're made because when you're younger, you want to miss school. (laughs) I'm not going to have a show of hands of those who have skipped a class. But he says little children, and then with the little children, here's what he couples with that. Little children, here's the two remarkable things about you. Your sins are forgiven, and also you have known the Father. Then he gives us the breakdown of young men. Young men. Here's what I love about you. All of these categories are on their way to heaven. All of them have been filled with the Holy Ghost. All of them know Jesus is king. Young men, here's how I know you are young men. You you overcome the wicked one. You are strong and the word abides in you. Now, I write unto you fathers. Fathers. The word there for father is the very Greek word where we get our word parent. Paternal. Right into you, fathers. Now, there, these are different measures of maturity. There's a senior and a junior division. He's got the beginners. He's got those that are strong enough to win a war. And then he breaks into a whole different category. It's a category that lives for a different purpose, a different cause. When you're young and just starting, you're happy for food. You love a toy. You want something to play with. You want to be entertained while the preacher's preaching, so we'll throw in a joke or two. And you want that, and there's nothing wrong with that. I I love a preacher with a good 
sense of humor. Come on now. I mean, life's too short not to laugh. Uh, you know, uh, my son, you guys may know my son. You don't know my oldest son. I don't think Austin's been up here. Winter, my daughter was here for your crusade, which was so awesome. How many still basking in the glow of that crusade? So awesome. And thank you for allowing my wife to be here. I see y'all let her on your platform. That's more than I sometimes do. But uh, no, <laughs> no, she's my key. She's my key. But, uh, you know, my son, Austin, he was on his way home from church one day, and he, he uh, told his mom, he said, you know, Ma, Mom, God, he's, he's a bad boy. We were very concerned with that statement. <laughs> it didn't sit very good with us. She looked at him and said, Austin, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean God's a bad boy? He said, Mama, God wrote on the wall. I mean, I don't know if you taught your kids to write on the wall, but mine were not allowed to do so. And he knew you don't write on the wall, you get in trouble. And the Lord seemed to break that rule, and he was concerned about it. He meant well, but he was just a kid. He was still learning about the things of God. You all know my son, Ethan. He's been around. I have a stinking, a, a, not a stinking, a sneaking suspicion he's going to be around a lot more. He's singing at somebody's wedding this weekend, I think. Send me the check. No, I'm joking. Uh, but I, I, I hate to tell you this. I'm his daddy, and I, everything about him he gets from his poppy. The good things come from me. But, uh, no, I love him. He is my spitting image. He is like me in many ways. But I, I don't want to tell you this. I want to hold it back. But when he was born, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't walk. He couldn't talk. And on top of that, he had no teeth. I mean, who wants to deal with somebody? Now, his mother said he was a perfect baby. But I had to assess things. There, was, there were a lot of things and, un, you know, vagrant odors came with my son to the house. And I was sometimes disturbed and there would not be anyone in the house to assist my hands to change the atmosphere. So I started singing and it didn't work. Here's the thing about my concerns for our hour is that there is a temptation for the church to only have one level in it. I'm so thankful for evangelism and churches reaching the lost and trying to get the lost saved and in the church and begun. But it, there are some churches that all they are are nurseries. It's as if they uh, are out to get everyone to read the first grade reader, and then they stop and they say, that's all we need. Look, they can read. And here's John very concerned about this. And so he breaks down some categories for us to consider. He said, you know, uh, you've got to understand that when I was a child, I spake as a child, Paul said. I understood as a child. There's nothing wrong with being a child. I still want to be childlike. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. John is declaring that growth comes with a consequence. 
There is to be an expectation that you start in the nursery, but then you become a young man and you, you're noted by being a fighter when you're in your youth years. Young in the Lord love spiritual warfare. They love to go to battle with the devil. All you got to do is sing a song about, I'm going to stomp, stomp, stomp on the devil. And all the Holy Ghost adolescents in the church will stand up and go crazy. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't ever want to not be in the youth group. I still enjoy a good fight. Between ant piles. When I was a kid, I used to carry the black ants to the red ants in Charlotte growing up. You know, that's an exciting summer. I'd put it, get all the red ants stirred up, get them on a stick, walk over to the black ant pile and put them down and say, y'all have fun. Animal cruelty, please don't report me. You know, John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh may have the same middle name. But there's a lot of difference between the two. And there are some people that want the church and the pastor to say, if you're not having a little bit of Winnie the Pooh in every service, then we're not necessarily pleased that we have come. And I want to exhort you in the Holy Ghost today that I love Winnie the Pooh. I like Tigger and Eeyore might be my best friend. But I've come to tell you I need to know about John the Baptist too. I've got to understand that there's some things in serving God that are powerful and real and glorious. Oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? When you were an infant, you started in the Holy Ghost. When you started, you knew that he was your father. You fell in love with him. You ran to him like a little baby runs to his father. But you cannot stop there who hath bewitched you to tell you that you are made perfect in the flesh. No, perfect means mature. It's an absence of imperfection is what some people think perfect means. That perfect means utopia, perfection. But that's a philosophical notion. That is not a New Testament notion. When you read perfect in the New Testament, it's not talking about some false sense of utopian arrival. It's talking about becoming mature, taking a step up, growing in grace, learning more from the Lord, understanding that I've been there last year, but it's this year now, and I'm not still going to be satisfied with the things that I used to be. The devil doesn't want you to pray with power. There's a witch that comes to the house. Oh, foolish Galatians, there's a witch in your house causing you to believe that you can accomplish things in the flesh that you had started in the spirit. Huh? There's problems when people that are full grown are hovered around the toy box. There's a problem when the daycare is full of adults. There's a problem when there's a bunch of people who ought to be living mature lives but all they can do is play candy crush in church and Pokemon Go in the foyer. There's a problem when you come to the house of God and all of the pressures of this world come on you and you just got to make skyline chilly in time when God's saying hey I need you 
I need you to come to another level. Uh, Paul was constantly looking for a grown man in his writings. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Ephesians 4, 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a up uh, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more, more children tossed to and fro carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight uh, of men and cunning craftness whereby they lie in wait to deceive he goes on to write to the Hebrews for when in times ye ought to be teachers ye have need that one teach you again again which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat strong meat belongeth to them that are full age and even those who by reason of use have their senses I saw you exercising when I walked through those doors back there I saw you I saw you my sister I saw you worshiping God with power and glory. Mark, I saw you holding your grandbaby, but you wouldn't just stand there and oogle that baby. You were worshiping God. Why? We're exercising. We're exercising. We prayed for Brother Williams on the way in. Brother Williams, I think I got it right. Do you ever play up on this platform? No, I got it wrong. You're the one that plays on the platform. Let me shake your hand. I love you, sir. I've admired your worship while you played. Let me tell you something. Somebody's exercising. We have our senses exercised. Hey, my sheep know my voice. He didn't say my lambs know my voice. My sheep. When Peter left the Lord, the Lord said, I want to know if you love me. Okay, I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. Then he went to lambs. He changed it. He said, just don't feed the mature ones. Feed the young ones too. But then he came back and said, just because you're having an evangelistic move of God in the church, please do not forget that there's still growth needed. Let us not just be a pre-K. Let us not just be a church that every Sunday morning has got to be filled with nursery rhymes and cute riddles. Oh, Lord, let us understand it's about not crossword puzzles, but covenants. We are here to do a work in this hour. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Sheep have a different wisdom than the lambs. There's an amazing book out there, The Way of the Shepherd. And in that book, he talks about things that are known for a sheep. And one of the remarkable characteristics about a sheep is that they do not cry out when great pain is upon them. Because they know the cry will bring more predators. And so though they are in pain. 
though they are in great pain, you won't hardly know it. I have pastored in Fort Lauderdale for 30 years. I can't believe I've been there that long. But I have watched some of the most mature people of God walk in with the greatest burdens you could ever imagine. And there would be a new convert that would just have a little bit of burp on their shirt, spiritually speaking. And that one that was carrying such heavy things, we'd go pray for that young one in the Lord. And I sat with tears on the platform as I looked at the size of the burdens the one who was carrying so very much was getting out of themselves they were going down to the one who was carrying so little but here's the difference babes when you're young you're always living for yourself now I've got a grandson he's awesome but science tells you that kids don't know how to play with others when they're two it's not till they're three that they start understanding, maybe I need to learn how to play with others. I, I'm, that's not what I believe. I believe my grandson knows all right now. He plays with Pop-Pop every day. So he's already learned. But teenagers, they like battle. And when you notice the remarkable characteristics that John said, you know, some churches are only spirit warfare churches. I love spiritual warfare. I want to conquer the devil. I know the devil is defeated. I want to stomp, 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 stomp on the devil. I want to look out, Satan, look out. You better look out, Satan, look out, for I come to you in the name of the Lord. I know you don't know that song. I'm too old for y'all. But let me tell you something. There used to be some old devil-chasing songs we used to sing. But the difference between the babes and the young is that there is a role that when you become mature, you start living for others. Parent. You're no longer showing up to see is there a devil to beat tonight. You show up to see is there a broken heart to heal tonight. Instead of running after every assault of darkness, you see it, but you say, in Jesus' name, be gone. I'm not here to beat the devil. I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. The cause and purpose of the church is to find the broken and get them in. King Hezekiah sent a word to Isaiah, and he said, this is a day of trouble, Isaiah. It's a day of rebuke. It's a day of blasphemy. Here's the problem. The children have come to birth and there is not enough strength to bring them forth. We have enough strength for a selfie, but hell wants no strength to deliver to be in this house. Oh God help the people of God to know I want to have the strength to bring forth children, not to just chase the devil. I'm not conflating the two. They are two separate things. Don't we're not called to chase the devil. We're called to reach the lost. I, I, maybe you've had more success than I have, but I've never converted a devil yet. Not, not yet. I've had them stare me down. I've had them hiss at me. I tried to tell them Jesus loves you, but I had to tell them you have no hope. 
Because you can't convert a devil. We are here to keep our eyes on the prize. Paul warned of a soft spirit that would come into the church. It was labeled the spirit of effeminacy. And we think that only means one thing. But it's not just the softness that's attached to Sodom. There is a softness that can come in the sanctuary. That comes about when I pray but I won't dig into it. When I worship but I won't give it that next boost. I will come and open my Bible, but I won't hover in its pages and say, what are you telling me right here, oh God? Here, I drove up to this house. I got my video camera out. I'm done. I got my video camera out as soon as I turned in off Cooper Street. (laughs) And I started filming, (laughs) driving in slow. I wanted to see driving into this church. In 1901, William Seymour came to Cincinnati. He came here because he first went to Indianapolis from Centerville, Louisiana, where he was trying to escape the ravages of problems and prejudices and slavery. He thought he would find equal living in Indianapolis. He joined a church that had a blended congregation but was disappointed after a little while and found out that it wasn't as blended as what he had been told. So he got on a road and came down to Cincinnati, down on 6th Street, in an old missionary home of Reverend Robert Campbell. On 6th Street, 4482 6th Street, he came down there and contracted smallpox. And while he was having smallpox, he had not received the Holy Ghost, but he knew it was real. And at smallpox, he said, this must be God trying to turn me around. And because of getting smallpox, it caused him to get ordained. And it was the ordination that happened in Cincinnati that carried him to Los Angeles and Azusa Street. And even when he didn't have the Holy Ghost, he would preach on an old wooden crate. And when he was done preaching, he got down on his knees and would put his head inside that crate and pray like it mattered until the fire fell down. That's what is been in your city and when I flew into this queen city and I felt what I feel coming into this coming into this sanctuary and know what God has planted in this house and I see the unity and the glory and the hunger in your eyes you're leaning into it you're not falling back your campaign you're marching you're marching it's not about you you're doing it for some other than yourself you're not just a babe we may have some young ones around come on we love you we got some rhymes for you you're not just a young person we love you too you win battles for us you fight the devil you are strong but there is an expectation that the Holy Ghost wants to come out of you There must be a consecration to your calling. To have power, you must know your purpose. To have deliverance, you must understand the dignity of your assignment. Kids don't understand that. Teenagers, I know what I'm talking about. I've had four of them in my house. I've got to teach them charm. They don't always know charm school. Because they're kids. I didn't know when I was their age. You've got to teach them these things. 
But when you start understanding the dignity of your placement, do you think you're here by chance? No. There are many churches in these places where the children have come to birth, but there's no strength to have the children. You are walking into an amazing facility. I'm going to be back for your dedication in my best black suit. I'm going to walk in with my beautiful bride, and I'm going to sing the glory of Jesus. Ha! Ah, but let me tell you how you're going to do the work of that house. You've got to understand the dignity of your placement. Dignity is not pride-based, not the Bible kind. Dignity is the understanding of the royalty, the kingdom, the placement. What? Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with the king? Huh? They beat him all Wednesday. They hung him high on Thursday. They stuck him in a cold stone tomb for three days. But the dignity would not let him stay down. He had the dignity to get up, fold his sheets, open the door. Excuse me while I find the ladies group that stood by when I breathed my last breath. Who did he show himself first to? I would have showed myself to Herod. I would have showed myself to Pilate. I would have showed myself to Caiaphas. Jesus went and showed himself first to those who would not leave his cross while he hung there and died. The disciples were gone, but the ladies would not leave. Mary Magdalene had sat there who was forgiven much and she was the first one back to tend to what she thought was his carcass. But all there was was a stone bed with folded napkin on it. And she turned around and he said, Ma'am, whom seek thee? Well, I'm looking for my Lord. But they've taken him away. And he said, Mary, she supposed he was the gardener. The gardeners in those days were people who had been so marred in battle that many times the scars of the sword would disfigure their visage. So for her to think that the gardener was Jesus, face still swollen where his beard had been plucked out, the swollenness. Don't tell me he didn't have that. He has it because he's going to have scars. He had to heal up. And he told Thomas, don't touch me. I'm still right there. Just touch my side a little bit, but not too long. It's still raw. What's he going on? He's saying, I'm risen, but I have purpose. If people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, they that are called out of great tribulation, they shall wash themselves and their robes in the blood of the Lamb. I want to ask you a question. Are you content with just... Christmas shows and living manger scenes, Easter dramas, colored lights in the youth room and pizza afterwards? Are you content with just being young and enjoying the joy and the, the pleasure of serving God? I love you. I'm so glad you're in this house. But there's a truancy problem when people don't progress. 
If you're just happy with fighting the devil all the time, I'm glad you fight the devil. I fight him too. But when you're raising children, it's not the wolves that have you consumed. It's the babies. You'll only fight the bear long enough to get them away from your babies, and then you let the bear go because you got to take care of the babies. When you're young, you'll chase the bear all day. Am I making any sense? I'm not adding to the text. I'm telling you, John was expecting some problems in the church with these false teachers that had come in, and they had and they, they, they had been saved. They had been strong. They had won the devil, but they were not where he thought they ought to be because fathers know him, and they know their purpose is to be a parent. To love. Cherish that beautiful name. Cherish that wonderful name. Cherish that matchless name. That name is Jesus. Cherish that beautiful name. Oh, cherish that wonderful name. Cherish that matchless name. That name is Jesus. Shall we stand together? Let the word of the Lord come forth. Oh, how I love him. How I adore him. The altar's open. My breath, my sunshine, my all in all, the great creator became my savior and all God's fullness dwelleth in him. As the musicians begin to sing whatever their heart feels, I want to open this altar for you to consider who is it that the Lord has you nurturing? 
Who is it that you have given yourself to protect? Who is it that the Lord is laying on your heart to move beyond the status of just being a young child or a young man, but to take you into the dimensions of being a father, a father, a father. Hallelujah. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. We're moving. We're getting closer. We're coming nigh. We're drawing near. Yes. He calls you. He calls your name. Some of you are on the edge of childbirth. Ah. You've been working with someone. Some of you are great at writing spoken words. But you've waited for an Easter presentation or a Christmas presentation. The Holy Ghost would have me to tell you there's one person you need to write a spoken word for. You need to spend a week writing a spoken word for that one person. Pray over it over a weekend and on Monday give it to them because spoken word is your gift. But you've been waiting for only platform presentation and God gave you that gift so you could save a broken heart and hurt a lonely soul. Rise, 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 rise. Uh, bring forth, bring forth, bring forth. You are, I will give you all. If all is what you ask of me, I happening right now the word of God has come to this congregation and it's planting itself respectively in each and every person that is here there's growth happening right now wherever you are and however long you've served the Lord or maybe this is the first night you really opened up to him but I want us to open up our hearts and open up our minds lift up our hands and receive the word of the Lord that has come to us God is giving you power. God is giving you power to grow and to mature, to become strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Hallelujah. Everything you need is found in spiritual growth. Everything you need is found in spiritual growth. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. All across this building, all across this building, 
In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let's do it right now. Oh, yes, I will give you all. I will give you all. I will give you all. Give all this what? All this you ask of me. I will not withhold. And if my sacrifice is less fire and power and understanding direction and wisdom and we're going to have to open ourselves and avail ourselves to grow into that man of God that he wants us to be 
that perfect man, that stature of the measure of the fullness of Christ. I want you to, I, I know we all have needs here tonight, but I want you to be that person right now that looks for the individual who has brought a need and you're living for the needs of others. I want you to do that right now. Somebody near you, I want you to pray for them. Somebody near you, I want you to pray for them. Come on, that's it. Pray for them right now. I know you've got a need you want to bring to God. But the Lord turned to the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. I want you to begin to pray for somebody right now. And exercise, exercise what the Lord has shown us in his word. Come on, lift that burden off of them right now in the name of Jesus. Lift that burden off of them right now in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Come on, that's it. God will minister to you. You minister to somebody else. Ah, that's wisdom. That's maturity. That's spiritual understanding. That's feeding his sheep. That's feeding his land. Hallelujah. 